0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. And the title for today is Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, 2 Kings 2, 1-5. And it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, And it's true, and it's one of my favorite movies. It tells the story of Eric Little... Eric Little, I'll just read you a couple of highlights here, 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris, which you saw, he was a devout Christian, and his specialty was the 100-yard dash, but because uh, he was better at short distances, not long distances. In fact, he ran the 200-meter just before the race you just saw, and he took third. The two Americans took one, two, he took third because he was better at the sprints, but he found out that the 100-yard dash was on a Sunday, and he's a very serious Christian. He said, I can't run on a Sunday. The coach was mad. The whole country was mad. He's the best runner in the world, sp- sprinter in the world. So he came up with plan B. He said, how about if I run the 400, which is a distance run for a 100-meter sprinter, right? And uh, so he started training for it. his best time was uh 49 was a kind of mediocre time by international standards but he just he just decided I'm going to honor God. So he uh goes up to run and one of the team masseurs handed him a, a note which said in the old book it says he that honors me I will honor. So he was inspired by that note. He was inspired by uh, the biblical message. And uh, he decided he was on the outside lane, as you saw. It's a huge disadvantage to be on the outside lane because you can't see the other runners until you're coming down the stretch. And typically, if you're on that outside lane, they all run right past you because you can't see them. But he decided because he was a sprinter, and the American runners were so fast, favored, he decided to sprint the whole race. And most runners at that time, now they all probably sprinted, but at that time they would sprint the first hundred or first hundred, then they would take it easy for two hundred, then they would sprint the last hundred. But he decided to sprint the whole race and just try to hold on, which he did. The Americans caught him coming down the stretch, just like happens to the outside lane, but they could not pass him. Huge victory. Huge win. Uh, it just, he broke the world record. Shocked everybody. Broke the world record. He, uh, it was it was a, a crazy thing. And you saw, he became a worldwide celebrity. At that time, Great Britain was still great. And uh, he was a, a great, he became a great celebrity. It was a really, really big deal. He faithfully followed God, who carried him to victory and glory. God's glory. We're going to talk a little bit more about him a little bit later. You'll be surprised at the ending. We're going to see the original Chariots of Fire today. That was Elijah. Elijah was the original Chariots of Fire movie. It's the final adventure of a faithful life and him finishing his race. And now he's going to go to God's glory. Glory with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Eric Little's example. We thank you for the life of Elijah. Many of us are in races right now, difficult, difficult races. And many of us feel like quitting, I'm sure. Father, we pray that because of this passage today, we would fight the good fight, we would finish the race, we would keep the faith. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read uh, 2 Kings 2. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, but we're only going to get through the first five. We're going to finish that up next time uh, because there's just too many good things here. But let's read the first 12 verses anyway. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it." Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on together. Fifty men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. Okay, here we go. This is going to be fun. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to read that verse again, where it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. There are only two people that left this planet Earth without dying. Only two. Obviously, Elijah. Who was the first one? Enoch, right? Enoch. Enoch and Elijah were the only two. Elijah also shares a special connection with Moses. Moses, too. Because both of them were taken outside the, the promised land they both Moses before he came over the Jordan and Elijah crossed over the Jordan they were both taken from outside the promised land and also uh, both left no graves Elijah no grave and, he, and Moses nobody could find his grave we know that he his body was hidden from Satan who wanted to take the body corruption, very likely uh, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, very likely, one is obviously Elijah probably, but either Enoch or Moses, uh, Enoch who hasn't died yet, or Moses because his body was, was saved, and then they were both on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses, so very good chance out of those three, two of them are going to be the two witnesses of Revelation that's, that stand against the Antichrist. Now, notice where we're starting here in chapter 2, verse 1. We're starting from Gilgal, Gilgal, which played a very prominent part in the book of Joshua. Remember we studied the book of Joshua? Uh, it's been years, I know. So anyway, we did the book of Joshua, and Gilgal played a very, very big part there uh, we, we saw Joshua going in, and, and Elijah is going out of the promised land. We're going to connect the dots the whole way, okay? Now, it played a big, big part. Both Joshua and Elijah are types of Jesus. They're both types of Jesus Christ. And we follow jo- Joshua in, and we're going to follow Elijah... Out, But we're going to connect the same dots that we followed in on on Joshua. We're going to follow them out with Elijah. Very, very interesting here, okay? Connect the dots. Gilgal and Joshua chapter 5. Remember, they had just crossed the Jordan River. Joshua takes them across the Jordan River. And the very first place they come to was Gilgal. That was the very, very first place they came to was Gilgal, okay? And they crossed the Jordan, which is a picture of Death, remember Jordan, spreading judgment. It's a picture of death. They went through the Jordan and out of the Jordan. Joshua led them in and out. Just as Jesus led, he went in, to, he died, and he came back. The resurrection, it's a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. The people followed him. We also follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, put our faith in him, we follow Jesus into death, and we follow him out into our, our own resurrection with Jesus Christ. And that's what this is a, a picture of. And so... It's all a picture of of Jesus and Elijah going through through the river we're going to see, and Jesus going through the river. It's all a picture of death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? So as soon as they passed through that river, they ended up immediately at Gilgal. Gilgal, okay? And at Gilgal, what did they do? Very first thing they did when they crossed. Nobody remembers. All right. They celebrated the Passover. The first thing they did was the Passover. Because the Passover was sacrificing the lamb. And they had just crossed through the Jordan. And that's a picture of the Passover. Right? Death, resurrection. Passover lamb, sacrificed. Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus being sacrificed as the Passover lamb. He was the lamb. He died on the cross. Remember, the Passover lamb took the sins away. You know, they symbolically placed it on the head, and it was looking forward to Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. And that's what we see here, that, that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He fulfilled that. He was the ultimate lamb. He died on the cross. He he was sacrificed for our sin. Okay? So that's all connected to the Jordan and celebrating the Passover. And then right after that, they celebrated circumcision. Only the men did. Uh, the women didn't have to go through that, but the men had not been circumcised, right? They should have been circumcised. Their parents were ungodly. Remember the whole thing? But they, God said, you're not going any further until you are circumcised, men. Alright? And, uh, and so, uh, you had to be circumcised. It was a place of holiness. God says you, it's holiness is painful, but you cannot move forward spiritually until holiness is there. Very, very important. Okay, It's vital before you can progress. Same in our life. man. we talked about that. Before we can move forward spiritually, it's all about holiness. It's not about going to, you know, hearing, getting warm fuzzies at some concert, you know, by someone who's singing about God. No, no. It's holiness is the key. That starts it all, okay? Remember last week. Uh, so, Elijah... Is reminding Elisha of all these truths before he's taken up. He's going to be getting ready to be taken up, and he's, remind, he's tra- retracing each of these steps, reminding him of all these tru- truths. In Elijah, which means my father is—I'm sorry, my God is Jehovah. Okay, represents Jesus Christ. Elisha, which means my God is salvation. My God is salvation. He represents the disciples, the apostles, and the disciples, and us. Elisha is us. We are Elisha. It's a picture of our spiritual life. We're going to have a lot of fun. That's why we're going to have a lot of fun for the next year. All right? Uh, When we do Elisha, and it's it's all about us. Elijah was Jesus. Elisha is us. And uh and and it it it's it's our for our encouragement. And Elijah is preparing Elisha for his departure. He's getting ready to go. What did Jesus do after his resurrection? He spent how many days? Forty. 40. Yeah, you got that one. Thank you. We got something. All right, good, good. All right. Forty days. 40 days. Before his ascension, he was equipping the, the apostles, the disciples. He was equipping them. That's what he spent his time doing. And just like that, we see Elijah doing this with Elisha. Okay, We see the same thing happen. And just like Elijah and Elisha, Jesus calls his disciples to carry on his work after he's gone up. Elijah prepared Elisha to do the same thing. We're called to carry on the work of Christ after his ascension. Okay, it's the same thing. But Elisha must be tested first, just like every one of us. He, he has to be tested. Will he follow Elijah to the end? Jesus did the same thing with his disciples, tested him. Will he follow them to the end? Will we? Look at, look at ourselves as we go through this. We are Elisha. Will we follow him to the end? And we see here test number one in verse two, where he says to him, uh, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. He says, stay here, I'm going to Bethel. This is test number one. We're going to see several of them as we move through this passage. Test number one, he's testing Elisha's commitment whether he's going to really follow him. Remember Jesus? Remember when the mob, the crowd all left Jesus? And Jesus, he did these hard teachings and he'd say after the crowd left, the big crowd who was following the miracles, they all left. They didn't like his hard teaching. And he turns to the disciples, and he said, Aren't you going to leave too? And what do they say? Where could we go? You have the words of life. Where else can we go? Don't you ever feel like that sometimes? It's not exactly fun following Jesus. <laughs> kind of hard, isn't it? But where else are we going to go? Many, many times. It's the only thing keeping us going, right? And, and and so Elisha says, I'm going to follow you. So they both go to Bethel, which means house of, no nope. God, house of God. Okay. Bethlehem is house of bread. You're ahead. We're not to Christmas yet. We're not to Christmas yet. Bethlehem, house of bread. Uh, Bethel, house of God. Okay. House of God. And that's where who saw something special there lots of quizzes here lots of quizzes jacob's ladder this was jacob's ladder jacob's taking a nap and poof he sees the stairway to heaven he wrote a song about it okay so so stairway to heaven and and he he sees the angels going up and down this is connection this is a place that has a spiritual special spiritual connection to god okay and he, it it's 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 when when he reached, Josh, Jacob had a special experience with God at this sacred spot, and when Elisha reached it, reached it, there was a special spiritual connection with God. When you reach Bethel, when you reach when you reach this special spiritual place, we have a special connection with God in, in a very very special way. That's what happens when we cling to Jesus Christ. When we cling to Him and follow Him, we and we hang on to Him. We reach a place of. Communion, communion. We commune with His Father through Jesus Christ when we really follow Him. But when we reach that spot, don't be surprised. When you reach that special place, whether it's on a retreat or a mission trip, or or in church, or wherever in your car, or, you know, out with God praying, whatever you're out walking. When you reach that place. Don't be surprised when you reach that special spiritual place of growth. And intimacy with God. Don't be surprised when others try to discourage you. Even other Christians. <laughs> Look what happens to Elisha. Verse 3. But uh, but let's see. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked him. Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes I know. Elisha replied. But do not speak of it. The sons of the prophets. These were. Elijah had established Different boot camps, really seminaries, but I would call more of a boot camp. Uh, when I was in India and and uh, did some ministry in India for a little bit, we were would go around and, and train these new these men who felt called into pastoral ministry and evangelism and and we wouldn't meet in a classroom they'd out they have these boot camps out in the middle of nowhere and we would just just pray and read the bible and pray and read the bible that's what they did they just really studied the word it was amazing it was really a boot camp Uh, a lot cheaper than seminary and uh a very intense i gotta say very very intense spiritually time for these guys and but this is what this is what Elijah had established all throughout Israel. It wasn't the big mobs. You remember the fire from heaven and everybody, yeah, God is God. You know, Jehovah is God. And that's not what left the impact. Most of those people fell away. Only seven thousand hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. It was the boot camps. It was his his company of prophets. It was the mentoring and the discipling, right? It was that mentoring and discipleship that made the real impact. That's what. Left a real legacy was that. So he's. He, this is the last class. This is this group's last class. Last time they're going to see Elijah. Last class. And this ministry made a much bigger impact than all the mobs and miracles. Just like with Jesus. Right? All those miracles he did, where'd the crowds go? As soon as the bread ran out, they're gone. As soon as the wine ran out, they're gone. Right? But it was the, the, the 12 apostles and the disciples that, that he invested in, they were the ones who turned the world upside down. It wasn't the flashy, big concert with some big singer with a big-name big preacher selling tickets. You probably can connect what I'm saying today. Anyway, we won't go there. Uh, uh, but even, even these fellow prophets... Even though they're on Elijah's side and Elisha's side, even they unintentionally try to discourage Elisha. He's made the decision to follow Elijah to the house of God, to this intimacy, to this communion, and he gets hit from the place he least expects it. Don't we all have that happen to us? You know, when you be- think about when you became a Christian. You become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, you're all excited and... Many of you experience getting blasted by your family or your friends, your family, right? You end up getting blasted by the very people you thought would be excited for you. A lot of you experienced that, didn't you? Unless you came from a Christian home, you, you didn't. But, but a lot of times that happens. They, you think they'd be happy for my new life. I've quit drugs, you know. I've quit this horrible life. I've quit the self-destructive things. You think they'd be happy for me, not attacking me. They were fine with me when I was doing that but now that i broke free now i'm i'm a bad person right it, it's crazy but that so often that happens but even as even Uh, even with Christians, though, it happens. As, a lot of times as a Christian, we're following God, we're taking steps of faith, and often we get, we decide God's really led me to take this big step of faith, and we get static from the very people we thought would be supportive, or, or encouraging, or, or at least, you know, listen to us, right? We get, we get hammered by those very, very people. I know in ministry, not here, but I know other pastors, uh, that get, get, often get discouraged by the very last person they thought they'd be discouraged by. Not here, but I've had other pastors' breakfasts. I hear their, their stories. Uh, they uh, they we pastors get stabbed in the back very often by the last person you thought would stab you in the back. It's it's really painful. Uh, you, we get we get hacked hacked. Remember when Shaquille O'Neal played and he would be going to the basket and they had this thing, hack a shack. They'd hammer him. They'd grab his arms. They'd do anything they could do to slow down that hulk of a, that giant hulk of a basketball player because they wanted to stop him and force him to shoot free throws. And they basically took him out of the flow of the game and he couldn't make those free, you know, he was lucky to make half of them, you know. And, uh, you thought you could just about reach out and drop it in, right? But, but he, but he, they would hack a shack. And, and so many times in ministry, I feel like, uh, not me, but my friends. Uh, you know, trying to do ministry and there's people, even Christians, hacking, hacking, pushing back. It, when we're just trying to move things forward and, and some people just want to constantly put the brakes on, you know, put up obstacles. And, and that's really discouraging. Uh, and also attacks, attacks. Uh, not just the, the stabbed in the back, but the, the hack a shack or push back, but, but the attacks also. Uh, it, it It's crazy how they they come from the last person you think they would come from. So, my friends sometimes they'll preach these sermons and really moving sermons, and and you're like really sense God working and speaking and stuff. But someone the last person you expect will come up and and say the craziest thing. You know they'll 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 find some little minutia, a little trivial thing to a jab you at, and they I'm like. Did they just miss the whole point of the sermon? They found a little trivial thing to, to needle me, and they missed the whole point of it, you know? And, and, it's, and it's so discouraging because it's the last person you'd expect. My friends. My friends would expect. So anyway, uh, that, that don't, don't we all experience that as Christians? The very people that we were hoping would support us on our spiritual battles and spiritual journey and steps of faith Don't be shocked if it's the last person you'd expect. Christians, don't be shocked. It happened to Elisha. Okay, Uh, The prophets keep coming out and doing that to him. Learn from that. So, Elisha doesn't stop, though. He's he's discouraged, but he keeps going. And he passes test number one. And now we come to test number two. Test number two. 2 Kings 2.4. 2 Kings 2.4, where it says... Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. He says, stay here. I'm going to Jericho. But Elisha passes the test again. He says, I'm coming with you. And this was a much tougher test. A much tougher test. To stay in Bethel. He was offered the chance to stay in Bethel. It's it was a mountaintop experience. You ever have a mountaintop experience spiritually? Remember promise keepers? How many? Remember Jim? Remember promise keepers? And and we you know our trips and a lot of you guys did promise keepers. Mountaintop. It was great. If someone said you can just stay there, I think we'd stay another couple days, right? It wouldn't have been hard to twist our arm, right? Yeah, but but or you've been on a mission trip. And you're having this awesome time or a retreat. The youth group's on a retreat and you're having this awesome time. The the ladies retreat, same thing, awesome time. Wouldn't you just love to stay at that mountaintop experience? But But yet, if Elisha was going to follow Elijah, if we are going to follow Jesus Christ, we must follow him to Jericho, a place of discouragement. Jericho was a place of discouragement. The valley of discouragement. And right away, while he's gonna do this, he does it, right away, he's, Elisha gets hit with some more very draining people. We call, in ministry service, it's called VDP. Very draining people. Nobody here is like that. Thankfully, I don't have anybody in our church like that. But some churches have a lot of them. Anyway, uh, VDPs are called. But look at this, uh, two, verse five here says, the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. He's getting frustrated with these prophets who all want to spot up all they know, you know? They're prophetic gifts. In a discouraging way. What are they, what are they saying to him? They say, What are you doing here? There is there's there's no point. Elisha, Elijah, why are you following, why did you follow him here? There's no point. What are you doing here? There's no point. There's no point in going on. Or, or just give up. Just give it up. There's no point. He's gone. He's, he's leaving. That discouragement we get, even from Christians. I remember when we planted the church here in New Hope. And we were, getting all those, we were getting hammered left and right. Some of you remember. Some of you were here back with the policemen and all that stuff. And it was crazy. We are getting hammered. And I'll never forget, someone I knew shared it with this pastor down the road a ways and said, you know, oh, we've got to pray for this church. They're really getting persecuted there in New Hope, and they don't want them there. We've got to pray for him. And you know what the pastor said? He said, it's their own fault. Those people in New Hope are all going to hell. And they should let them go. You know who lives in New Hope. And it's their own fault. They shouldn't be planting a church in Sodom and Gomorrah. They deserve what they get. Christian. I use that term loosely. But anyway, Christian. Is that? But it's, it's the truth, isn't it? The, the, the pushback we get. Missing the whole point. Jericho was a discouraging place. It was a place of strongholds. It was a place of spiritual battles. It was a place of spiritual darkness. When, when Joshua crossed the Jordan and he, they cleaned things up at Gilgal, they, the very first obstacle, obstacle they hit was Jericho. Jericho. Right? It's the very first place they hit, but by faith and perseverance, they, the walls fell down. They overcame that terrible stronghold that was blocking them from moving forward in their, into the promised land, moving forward into our spiritual life, this stronghold that's in our way. And, and, uh, but by faith and perseverance, the walls fall down. You all know the kids song, right? You know the song. But, Here they are again at Jericho. Wait, wait, how's it here? It had to be really discouraging for Elijah and Elisha to be there again because Jericho shouldn't even be there. It was already knocked down. It shouldn't even be there. Remember after Joshua saw the walls fall down, he gave a curse. He gave a curse. In Joshua chapter 6, 26, listen to what he says here. At that time, Joshua pronounced this psalm oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up his, its gates. He put a curse that it must never be rebuilt. And yet, here it is! How did that happen? Anybody know how that happened? Connect the dots. Connect the dots. 1 Kings 16, 34. First Kings sixteen thirty-four. We were just there not too long well a little while ago. Uh, thirty-four in Ahab's time. I'm going to say that again. In Ahab's time, Hile of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his first. Born son Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son Segub, in accordance with the word. in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Under Ahab's wicked rule, Jericho was rebuilt. Under his wicked rule, Satan's stronghold was rebuilt. It's during times of apostasy. That the Jerichos are rebuilt. We see it in the USA today. Those who are a little old enough have seen it actually happen. The shocking result of removing God from our government. God from our schools. God from our public life. God from our cultures. God from many churches. Many, many churches aren't even worshipping the real God. They're worshipping Baal something. It's not our Jehovah. We've seen the result. The horrifying results. Of rebuilding the Jericho's, we are living out. We are living out in our country today. What if you had, if we had seen this in the future, it would have been considered a sci-fi horror flick. What we're living today would have been considered. You couldn't even imagine this kind of sci-fi horror flick. Nobody would have believed it. It would have been considered too obscene and too horrible and too gross. But we're living that out today because we have, it's a time of apostate, apostasy and the Jerichos are being rebuilt. When we run into these discouraging walls, which we're facing right now as a country. When we run into these discouraging walls, when we run into the Jerichos, it's tempting to quit. But Elisha keeps following Elijah. Going to see even more next week. Maybe you're here today, and you're discouraged by a Jericho that has popped up in your life. While you're following Jesus, it just, you run into a Jericho. What is this going on, right? Just like Elisha, following Elijah. you know, Just like Joshua, and the Israelites following Joshua, bam, right into the Jericho. We're following Jesus. We're following Elijah. We're following Eli- Joshua. But we, we run. There's a Jericho that has popped up. And many times we think, what, what is this? I thought this battle was already over. I thought this was already won. I remember when I became a Christian, it just disappeared. Disappeared at salvation. Poof, it was gone. And it was defeated. As Todd was saying during the worship, the war is over, but there are still battles to fight. The war is over, but there's battles to fight. Jesus defeated it. It was defeated by our Joshua at salvation. It was defeated by Jesus, but he still often calls us to knock, down those walls at a later time with his help. Jesus often waits until we are ready. We're not always ready for every Jericho, for every stronghold when we first become a Christian. So he he closes the gates, he closes it up, he shuts it up. Remember the cave? Remember in Joshua, he was shutting up those kings in the cave and waited until it was time to bring them out for Joshua to come and put his feet on their neck. And I said, that's what God does with us. Sometimes we're not ready to deal with something. He waits until our faith has matured. He waits until we, until we grow spiritually, until our faith is strong, until we experience the, the smaller battles and we win those battles and we, we're battle-tested and we're ready for a bigger fight. And then he brings us face-to-face with that Jericho and says, now's the time to fight it. Now's the time to kill it. I remember years ago I was preaching in a church. And, and I was preaching, and afterward, a woman came up to me afterward, and she said, I, I just need your encouragement. I need your help. I need spiritual direction. She like I've been a Christian for seven years. And when I came to Christ, I was living in a, in a lesbian lifestyle. I was homosexual. And when I accepted Christ, it was gone. It was just gone. I, I was like, wow. I was free. I moved forward. It was awesome. And now, seven years later, I'd be getting hit. What is going on? I said, don't be shook up. Don't get all shook up. It's because you weren't ready seven years ago to face this this trial. God just bottled it up. He already defeated it, but now it's time. He knows you're ready. He knows you're ready. Seven years later, he knows it's the perfect timing for you to knock down the walls of Jericho. It's now time to kill it. It's now time to get your healing. See, it's one thing to just stop something or not, not deal with it anymore, but there has to come a time where we get our healing. We're promised healing through Jesus Christ. Not just white-knuckle ability, not just, you know, you know not having to deal with stuff, but he, God wants us to get our healing, our healing. And I said, that's what God is doing. And the light went on and she got it and, and moved forward spiritually. It was awesome. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged because you have a... And that goes for... i am just use one example but that, that just came to mind. Think of anything we struggle with. Uh, maybe you're discouraged because you have allowed... You have allowed a Jericho to be rebuilt in your life. God knocked something down. You knocked it down. God, through God's grace, you you prayed it and it came down and you fought that battle. But then... Nobody here, but you might know somebody like this that says, "I wonder what it would be like." It's been a couple years. I wonder what. It, I wonder. I I remember that that thing. I wonder what. I want to just wonder what it would be like one more time. And we go back and we re, we we put the bricks together and we start rebuilding the Jericho. Next thing you know, we got the whole stronghold, the whole bondage, and and it, we. We've allowed a stronghold to be rebuilt in our life. Like Ahab's time, we live in a wicked time. Everybody's offering us strongholds left and right. You can't, it's like breathing air in, in Beijing, you know, with all the pollution. You're going to get pollution. It's hard here. Just walking around. There's so many spiritual attacks. It's like the spiritual pollution. We, it's so hard to avoid, right? But yet it's here, and it's so hard. We we reopen those doors. It's easy to slip back. We used to call it backsliding. Slip back. It's easy to reopen doors. It's it's easy to get stuck in that quicksand again. But it can cost us our legacy. We need to. If you if we rebuilt that Jericho again, we got to knock take those bricks down one by one again because it will cost us our legacy. I have seen in thirty five years of ministry. I have seen. And I've been tempted to do the same. But I've also seen so many people that were doing great spiritually. And they went back to their Jericho. And they rebuilt that Jericho. And they moved right in with their whole family. And it cost them their family. It cost them their spiritual legacy. It's cost them so much. I, I just, I've seen so many people. They were doing great. Slip sliding away. Marriages, families. Devastated. What do we need to take apart brick by brick today? Maybe we've rebuilt a Jericho in our life. We need to take it apart brick by brick. Maybe you're here and you're just discouraged today. Are you discouraged by the spiritual attacks? By, by ministry? By your, what's going on with your marriage and family? By jobs and finances? By, by depression? Let's learn this from Elisha. Let's learn this. He didn't focus on discouraging people or discouraging developments. Did you notice that? He didn't focus on them. I'm sure it bothered him, but he didn't focus. What did he focus on? Elijah. He focused on Elijah. He just, he just kept following Elijah faithfully, just like we need to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, step by step, step by step, following Elijah following our Joshua, following Jesus Christ. And a great example of this, I'm going to read the rest of the story about Eric Little. He was super popular. He was a worldwide celebrity. He could have had anything, money, fame, all of that. But instead he followed Jesus along with his brother who you saw and his wife. And you saw he followed Jesus to China. That's the last place. You had expected him to go. He went to a, an extremely, a province you've never heard of, a very, very poor area that suffered during the country's civil wars and had become really a treacherous battleground with the invading Japanese coming in. On one occasion, he was asked, have you ever regretted leaving behind the fame and glory of athletics? Little responded, it's natural for a chap, that's a person in uh, uh, English, it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes. But... I'm glad at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts for far more at this than at the other. He was a teacher in China, a Christian school teacher. He also trained the young Chinese boys in sports. That was his real passion in ministry, and they just ate it up. They loved him. He used his athletic abilities to do ministry in China and to reach out. In 1941, though, it became so dangerous to be in China because of the Japanese invasion of China. So dangerous that uh, the British government said everybody's got to leave, and uh, he decided to send his wife and two daughters back. His wife was pregnant, and his, and, and the two daughters back. I believe he sent them to live in Canada, if I remember right. Sent them to live in Canada, which was considered a safer place. Yeah, right. It's a pretty safe place. Okay, safe place. All right, <laughs> right. So uh, he. He sent him to live there. His wife begged him to come. He said, I can't. He ended up never seeing his new daughter ever. She begged him to come. He said, I can't. God has called me here. It it killed him to leave his family and baby, but he had to follow the call of Jesus Christ. They left to stay with her family in Canada. He joined his brother who was a doctor. Rob, you saw him on the movie there, it was a doctor there. The, the station was severely short of help. The missionaries were exhausted. They went through incredible hardships, just like the Chinese people. Uh, the Chinese ended up overrunning their province, and they took over the mission station, and they put him in a camp, an intern interned him in an internment camp where he became a leader, an organizer, a leader. He worked with the kids. He took, got the medicine together. He tried to have everybody work together. It was really a moving. There's another movie on that too. It really very moving. Um, he helped the elderly. He did Bible teaching. He just on and on and on. Did sports games. They all ref, All the boys referred to him as Uncle Eric because he did all the sports with them. But Unknown to himself, even before his wife left, he didn't know, but he actually had a brain tumor. An inoperable brain tumor. He would have died even if he had gone home to safe Canada. He was not going to survive. But he would have missed out on being an amazing blessing. In his last letter to his wife... Written on the day he died, Little wrote of suffering a nervous breakdown due to overwork. He also had an inoperable brain tumor. Overwork and malnourishment may have hastened his death, but he was going to die no matter what. Little died on, on the 21st of February, 1945, five months before liberation. The entire camp, especially its youth, were stunned for days. So great was the vacuum that Eric's death had left. Little's last words were, it's complete surrender, in reference to how he had given his life to God. He was buried in a garden behind the Japanese officer's quarters. His grave was marked by a small wooden cross, but it was forgotten until it was rediscovered in 1989, where the University of Edinburgh erected on a memorial headstone with a simple inscription, Isaiah 40:31. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Eric Little learned the secret that Elisha already taught us. He learned the secret to finishing the race in victory. Just like Elijah. Taught us just like Elisha is teaching us here. He taught us the secret. From Isaiah 40 verses 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How about us? Are we like Eric Little? Are we doing what Elisha has taught us to follow Jesus wherever he leads? One step at a time? Even when we're in a discouraging place? Even in dark times? Are we staying close to Jesus? Complete surrender. How is God speaking to us as we go through these battles today? And maybe you're here saying you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You need to take the first step in that race. And that's by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was our Passover lamb. He died on the cross in our place to take our sin. He rose again from the dead to break the power of sin in our life and to give us a brand new life. Jesus did that, but he calls us to put our faith in him, to surrender our life to him. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe here, Tane, you've never taken that first step of faith. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never put your trust in his death and resurrection to give you new life. But the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, and now is the day of salvation for you. We, don't, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not guaranteed the next minute. All we have is this second. And the Bible says, Now is the day of salvation. Will you take that first step of faith? The simple prayer of faith. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I put my faith in you. I give my life to you. I surrender the old life, the sin, the garbage. And I trade it for real life in Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have crossed over from death into life. You have crossed the Jordan with Joshua. You have followed Jesus Christ from the cross to the grave to the skies for eternity. I want to encourage you to tell somebody before you leave today, whether you have a friend or family member or come up and tell me or fill out that card and drop it in the box, text, call, let somebody know today because we will be so excited and will encourage you For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is God speaking to us? That next step. We don't have to see the end of the race. We don't have to see who's chasing us. It's that next step of faith. Following Jesus. One step at a time. Father, I pray that each one of us would have great hope today in the midst of many, many struggles and battles and trials, that every one of us would have hope, and that our lives would glorify you through your son, Jesus. Pray that in his name, amen. Amen.